The following is a conversation with Ashton Rodenizer. She is the founder of Mind's Eye Creative Consulting and helps companies bring their stories to light through aesthetic and creative illustrations. Tune in to hear more about her story. Ashton, I know we were just talking off air for a little bit, but I think we talk, got to talk about some really interesting stuff and some of the stuff that you do is really, really unique. And it's one of those things that I think most people don't initially think of, but when they hear about the kind of work that you do, they'll be like, oh, I remember seeing that somewhere that's so cool. So, you know, yeah. first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I'm so happy to be here today. Sure. Excited to have you on. And uh, I guess just to quickly get into it, uh, briefly about what I just mentioned, can you just get a bit into kind of your background? Yeah. So I found this work as a facilitator. I was working for a few years in a nonprofit family center and found the world of facilitation. And it, as cliche as it sounds, I took a one-day workshop not even knowing what it was around graphic facilitation. And I was like, this is it. Like, mm -hmm. I love this so much. And I started, I was facilitating a session at the time and I just started putting paper on the wall and drawing the conversation as it's happening and experiencing the power of it for myself. And yeah, that was 10 years ago, which is pretty wild to think about. So I kind of left facilitation by the wayside, even though I love facilitation and it's a great way to help people, you know, come to their own conclusions and their ideas and get them to move forward towards a goal. But I really love this this world of helping visualize information in a way that makes it really accessible and engaging and helps folks remember it long term. So that's very high level for you. We'll get into it, I'm sure, a little deeper, but that's a very high level for you. Uh, I appreciate the explanation there. And I love how you implied, you know, you took a one-day workshop and then you said it without saying it and then you were like, the rest is history. Uh, so that's yeah. really cool how you got into it. Even before that workshop, did you have any idea of the kind of work you wanted to do or you were still kind of unsure of the path you wanted to pursue professionally? Yes, you know, I I really didn't know what I wanted to kind of be when I grew up when I was in high school and I really, really struggled. And I didn't, the only thing I knew I wanted to be was a mother. And <laughs> when you would have conversations with people and they, you know, I was very smart. I was like kind of top of my class, like in the top, top percent, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to go to university and get all these loans and spend all this money on something that I didn't know what I wanted to pursue. Mm -hmm. And I always loved kids. I always, I did think at one point maybe being a teacher, but when I graduated, it was the recession and all these teachers were graduating and there was no jobs. So I just like, that's not going to work out for me. So mm -hmm. I... Yeah, I, I just always worked with kids and loved kids so much and knew that was something that I wanted to be as a mother. So, you know, I followed that path for my first few years, knew, knowing that it wasn't going to be my forever thing, but, you know, it was just sort of until I figured out what I was going to do, mm -hmm. I'll, you know, work with kids in a more professional manner and families. And then when I was working at the family center, that's when I transitioned into facilitation. So it definitely was like a very, you know, stepping stone for me. And being a, an artist as a career wasn't even an option for me because there was so much negativity around, you know, all these art kids graduating from art school and no jobs and no money. And, you know, I didn't even consider it because it was so, it was such, it was painted, pun intended, with a negative brush, right? So. I've always been very creative. 
um, my family always were kind of like, Ashton's like the weird artsy one. (laughs) Everyone else wasn't artsy and I was, but I've always loved playing around with different art forms and different materials and things. If you know, name it. And I've probably tried it. I've tried Mm -hmm. so many different things, but I didn't actually draw a whole, whole lot um, going before I learned about this profession. So I actually had to, I went into it with more of my listening and thinking and synthesizing skills than I did my art skills, actually, Mm -hmm. as a, as an illustrator. I even sometimes have a hard time calling myself an illustrator because I, you know, I don't, I'm all, I'm all self-taught when it comes to the art side of things. Got it. Have you, so when you said you were kind of working with children, just to follow up, were you working as like a teacher with them or focusing on subjects or doing just other kinds of social work? Yeah. So I was an early childhood educator. So I specialized in zero to five. So I worked Mm -hmm. in, so the family center that I worked at specialized in zero to five um, early child development. So Mm -hmm. the programs and things that we would put on were for little, little kids. (laughs) So I didn't, I, I did have the training that I could be like a teacher's assistant and uh, pre around here they call pre primary teachers. So like the in the school systems, there's uh, I guess kind of like kindergartens, like before mm-hmm. school uh, for mm-hmm. four year olds. I could be a pre primary teacher. Um, that's the training that I have. But yeah, so more of that sort of zero to five um, space. Got it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll get into more of the art, but I'm sure you've heard of kind of the nature versus nurture debate. So I'm sure. You know, when you're younger, it's kind of crazy to think about the amount of influence that you really have on these these younger kids. Yeah. So, definitely. I yeah, I'm I I am still very passionate about zero to five and mm-hmm. the the way that kids' brains develop at that age is so important. And I wish our society would support early childhood educators more. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we won't get into that today, but it it is quite right. a you know, even in daycare settings, people are like, oh, they're just playing. And I'm like, they're not just playing. They're learning so much by playing, right? Like play is their learning. Play is their school, right? Like they should just be playing and ex- exploring the world and getting messy and dirty and like all those things. So but <laughs> we'll keep that conversation for another day, I'm sure. No worries. I know a whole lot of tangent. To get into a bit more of the tangent, I took a, a class in college, uh, Health and Human Development. I learned all about that and some... Mm stuff. So last thing I'll say about that, if anyone's really interested in learning more, uh, just search up nature versus nurture on Google and, you know, that'll give you all the tangents and the loopholes that yeah, exactly. may be interested in. But no, really awesome to hear, you know, just to get a little bit more into like the specifics of art. I know you said you took this one day workshop. Just how did that really come about? Is that something that just happened on the job or you just found out from it from a friend? Did someone hit you up and was like, hey, Ashton, come, come get drinks and like do this cool art workshop with so how did that yeah. Work? So I, I, the family center that I was working at, I left that job because I got married, bought a house, moved back to my home community, and it was too far of a drive to go into that family center. It didn't make sense for the amount of money I was making at the time at that job to drive like four hours a day through traffic. It just didn't sound like a good time to me. So I left that job without a backup which was very scary. Uh, I did start working in other centers and and with kids and things for a little while, but I got burnt out of those environments pretty darn quick. I had a lot of autonomy at my, my, the family center job. And, um, I didn't like that. They told me what to do too much because I could kind of do whatever I wanted at the family center. And I was spoiled at that point. Mm -hmm. So I, 
even though I moved back to the community I grew up in, I didn't actually know a lot of people. And I think because in high school, like a lot of kids, you know, they moved away. So a lot of people moved away. And yeah, so even though I grew up here, I had to kind of like re-embed myself into the community and like make new friends, um, even though I was only gone for like four years. So one way I decided to try to get connected was by volunteering. So I started volunteering a lot of different events and festivals and community organizations. I joined a bunch of boards. Like I just got really involved. And I became friends with um, a facilitator. He actually was a facilitator, which, you know, made my heart happy because that's something that I had done or was trying to figure out how to do more of. And it was him that introduced me into that one day workshop. He said, Hey, this is something that I'm going to go to if you want to come with me. And yeah, so it was him that introduced it to me and I met him. I always kind of knew of him in the community because he is very well known, but it wasn't until I started volunteering and I was on some committees and things with him. And yeah, we're, we're very good friends still to this day, actually. And yeah, so that's kind of how I, I learned about it. And he was going to go and I, I was like, I don't know what this is, but it sounds interesting. So let's do it. That's, that's definitely, it's kind of interesting. I moved back to the community or trying to figure a way, figure your way out. And then just through volunteering, subsequently heard about this kind of art workshop. And then uh, we'll get into the more specifics of it. And then, as I said earlier, kind of, I guess, pun intended, and the rest was history. So yeah. it really goes to show you never really know what will come at you in life. So maybe take a uh, take those risks or take those, um, you know, uncertainties with a great attitude and kind of see where it goes. So yeah. awesome to hear about that. Uh, more specifically kind of about the art workshop that you get into. Did you get mm -hmm. into doing right away or were there just a bunch of different art forms? I'd love to know the kind of dynamic around what you work with there. Yeah. So the one day workshop was very specific for facilitation type work. So mm -hmm. it wasn't about just learning an art form. It was learning how to draw simple images, icons, and things mm -hmm. in a meeting setting to help elevate the message that comes out of that meeting. So it was very specific. So, and because facilitators are hosting a lot of meetings and sessions, it, it a lot of folks were, came from that kind of background. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're doing their own thing as an independent facilitator, or maybe they work for an organization or a nonprofit where they have to like host different things meetings or events and things. And so one of the things that I felt set me apart, which I didn't know at the time, was I had just, I had happened to be involved in a project where, like I said at the beginning, I was facilitating. And it was literally just a few days later after taking that workshop that I got some paper and I threw it on the wall and I just drew out the conversation. You know, I had just taken this workshop, but I still didn't really know what I was doing. It was messy. It was awful. The writing was awful. The drawings were horrible, <laughs> but I still did it and just tried it. And I think that was the one thing that set me apart from everybody else who took that workshop because a lot of folks I would I ran into over the years who were at that one workshop and they kept asking me like, how did you get into it? Like, I know I took the workshop with you, but like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I just did it. Like you just do it. <laughs> and I think other people were too afraid. Either they didn't have a supportive environment yeah. or what have you, but it definitely was the fact that I just threw up paper right away and tried to put that learning right into, into the world and just try it. And I knowing that it was going to be awful and messy, 
I think if I wouldn't have done that, I would have never actually done it. You know what I mean? So that was something that I'm grateful now that I did. And I took that leap of faith and I was in that supportive group to be able just to explore and try it and, and kind of learn along the way. And then I took, put that paper away for a few weeks or a few months. I can't remember how long. And then I saw it in a corner and I decided to pull it out and I looked at it and I was shocked at how much I could remember from that meeting. And I'm like, why is it that I can remember all this stuff from this meeting, just from a few horrible drawings. And that was one of the most pivotal moments for me because it showed me the value of the work. I was like, this isn't just cute or, oh, look at Ashton drawn her cute little picture. Isn't that cute? <laughs> like, this is serious. This is something that really can help people remember information. And yeah, that that's one of the to to this day is one of the biggest sticking points of value that I talk about with potential or current clients of, you know, if you care about people remembering something from a meeting, this is a very, you know, valuable conduit to, to that. Right. So, yeah. It's really interesting. I thought of a, while you were saying the story about having this meeting and initially you were just trying to draw shapes for a kind of a corporate setting or a work setting. I thought in my head, of an oxymoronic term, corporate creativity. It sounds like yes. that. <laughs> Honestly, though, I've thought about even just doing like workshops on creativity because, you know, we could talk a whole hour just on the power of creativity in general and mm -hmm. how most people don't consider themselves creative. And that drives me insane because everybody is. It's just a matter of your unique way of putting it into the world. And it does not have to look anything like mine. You don't have to know how to draw anything. Maybe your creativity is writing or maybe it's movement or like you can make people laugh like it could be anything and business in the workplace requires creativity requires creative thinkers you know we don't you know companies don't want people who are just gonna like do what they're told anymore like sit here and check these boxes they want people who challenge things and think creatively and i think it's one of the most sought after skill sets that people it's not even a skill set, just like way of being, but it's a matter of like someone embracing that and like having the vulnerability to like express it in a work setting, you know, because you put out something and someone might say it's not a great idea or, or shoot you down or what have you, but you won't know until you start trying it out. So, but yeah, I digress. Well, we could talk about creativity in the workplace all day long, but at the end of the day, sometimes when I you know, the whole like elevator pitch. Sometimes people will ask me like, what's your elevator pitch? And basically when it comes to these settings, I say, have you ever been in like a boring meeting? <laughs> yeah. I try to make them not boring <laughs> and actually engaging. And you actually remember what you're supposed to do after the meeting. And that seems to resonate with a lot of people. Definitely. It's, it's actually interesting. I used to work in corporate America in another lifetime where I feel like I've given snippets of that in kind of the other shows, but I've also been in a ton of meetings where a lot of the time you're just like, okay, this is just. This could have been an email, people. This could have been an email. <laughs> one of those things that sometimes some of the conversations I used to have with my coworkers were, you know, what do you find more draining? Like actually doing work, putting together slides, you're doing research, or kind of sitting in useless meetings. And people would always be like sitting in useless meetings because they just, yeah. it's, it's just like almost. I'm trying to think of the, the most polite way to criticize something, but it's almost <laughs> like this bureaucratic necessity sometimes that you just have to yeah. sit in when you really don't have to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Corporate creativity. It's, it's interesting that it's it's like two words that don't seem like they would go well together, but to yeah. be successful in the workplace, you got to be creative. You have to be innovative. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. The other um the other thing that kind of you brought to my attention was in the beginning you said the reason you were able to kind of you know advance your art career, kind of really get good at the stuff that you were interested in regarding from that workshop was you were willing to go in with confidence or knowing you weren't going to be amazing from the start. Like, and you said like a lot of other people were like, oh, how did she do that? How did she this, that? And yeah, but literally simply said, I just did it. Do you think that there's like a broader theme in society that people either one are scared of failure and I guess, and or two, you know, whenever they try something, they want to get good at it right away. And if yeah. they're weak, they're not good at it. They're like, oh, I guess it's not for me. Yeah. I actually just read something not that long ago is called it's a book called find your creative voice by lisa condon i don't know if i'm getting condon hopefully i got her last name right and i was just sort of flipping through it while i had the kids at the beach and there's something that she mentioned in there that really resonated with me and it's called the beginner gap mm-hmm. and the beginner gap is there's where you want to be or what the skills that you have currently and where you want to be. And there's a huge gap in there because you want to be way further along than what your current skill set is for. And unfortunately, the majority of people, I don't even know if it's like fear of failure or all of that. I think people just get frustrated by the beginner gap and they do not do the work and have the consistency and the dedication that it takes to get to a level of where you want your skill set to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I don't even, I think it's more of that. It's like, oh, I can't do it. It's not that they can't do it. It's just that it, where your skill set doesn't ma- match the re, yeah, your reality of your skill set currently doesn't match where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I didn't really think about that over at the time. I think I was like, if I just keep at this, I'll get better. Like, that's just experience, right? Like, if I draw 100 pictures, it's going to be better than the first one. So I I think at the time, not even really knowing that this beginner gap was a thing, I think I kind of, it wasn't that I had a lot of confidence. I think I just leaned on, like, I want to say math (laughs) or, like, statistics, but I'm like, if you do, like, when people say to me, oh, your work is, like, so great, your illustrations are so nice, and I'm like, well, they should be. Mm-hmm. And it's not from a confidence perspective. It's from, I've done this almost every day for 10 years. If it isn't look nice, there is a problem. <laughs> if you did something, like, if someone else did, you know, visualizing their own notes or what have you, every day for 10 years almost, or almost every day, I can't say every day, you would be pretty good too. Like you probably look better than mine, you know? I I don't believe in talent. I believe in consistency and dedication because I show people my first works all the time. And like I said a few times already, how awful they were. They were, they were not nice looking pictures. They still provided value to people. It still helped people learn. It still did all the things. They just didn't look as pretty. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people do like pretty and people want pretty. 
but that's where that beginner's gap comes in, right? I want it to look pretty, but sometimes the more messy it is can be just as, if not more effective from a learning perspective, right? When you're in a session or a meeting or something like that. So yeah, that's my opinion on that. I think uh, two quick things I wanted to say. I think you mentioned American science group. <laughs> I think we can't do things. Actually, I think there's some artists there that I've had scientific features. Yeah. So I think I, I actually had from from my college days, which I'm only I'm only 24, but it seems like forever ago. But right. In my freshman year, I took this one calculus, and uh, one day I went to the professor. I had some kind of some kind of question. He showed me the the same question too. I'd probably be like, I have no idea how, how I used to be able to do that. Yeah. But he had a bunch of like paintings in the corner, and I think I I randomly asked him or TA like, oh, like who those are cool paintings or something, and. Because like, and I think here the TA were actually like, no, like we, I actually painted those, and mm. like, like you paint too, like what is this, like math professor slash artist? He's like, no, there's actually <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of crazy theorems hidden in that. So I know that was a bit of a tangent, but I thought that was a was a cool story. Yeah, to bring up. there is there is a lot of like synergies, like, and I do feel like I am like my friends call it like the hipster scale for me. <laughs> I am very creative and very artsy, but then I also like numbers, right? I like like I do like the business side of things, so I'm always like. I feel like I'm on this like sliding, they call it the hipster scale. So this is a sliding hipster scale of like, are they going to get super like artsy Ashton? Or are they going to get like super serious business person Ashton? Like who knows? Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you got to <laughs> play both sides. But no, that's really cool. And I think uh, the other thing to say, you know, from the book that you mentioned, I forget what it was called exactly. Um, Like the beginner's gap or something like that. But uh, I think there's a famous quote by some kind of famous inventor, or whatever. I don't want to butcher their name or, or kind of uh, misquote someone, but or like uh, misquote who it was. Uh, but I think the quotes is like, you know, every expert was once a beginner, and I think it sounds mm-hmm. absolutely it sounds yeah. so simple and so deep. But you know, even the most genius minds at some point, like, yeah, you know, weren't even weren't even them or kind of didn't know didn't know the basics of of everything that they got to. So I think yeah. a lot of times. I agree with you in the sense that I think there's definitely a beginner's gap and mm-hmm. sometimes people get intimidated, but if yeah. I think we're in a culture that if we look at failure and a lot of, uh, you know, not to get into this other tangent, I feel like with art, there's so many different things. <laughs> so, there's so many different things we could talk about. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so doing my best to stay relatively on the street path, but uh, I think it's interesting that um, specifically kind of regarding art or kind of regarding uh, approaching something, you know, if we right now in a culture, like I think the way we're taught in school and again, not to get into the whole school tangent, but we're almost taught to kind of avoid failure. Like you have to be perfect every time. You have to have the highest grade. You have to do this. And yeah, really well, people should still strive for excellence. I think a lot of times what school or education doesn't teach you is that you should almost embrace failure or mm. not. And that I'm not saying that as in like a way to strive for failure, but you know, if you're not certain about something, go out and try it. And then whatever happens, if you're successful, great. If you're not successful, pivot. Yeah. I think a lot of times people are worried about like that initial failure. Uh, and sometimes they may think, oh, it worked right away for that person or it worked right away for that person. Well, that's life. Everybody's different. That's, <laughs> that's just how it is. I think. If yeah. <laughs> yeah. I work a lot in technology, have a lot of like tech clients. And one thing that I hear over and over and over again in that world is the blameless culture, creating a blameless culture. So when something goes wrong, someone makes a mistake, it's not, oh, Johnny boy made that mistake and, you know, we 
Twitter was down for an hour and everyone's freaking out or what have you. Like, I think it is important to have also like cultures that embrace failure, like that kind of also go into the workplace. Because if you're too afraid to make a mistake because you're going to get fired or what have you, then it doesn't allow for some of, I'm going full circle now. You know, it doesn't allow for some of those creative ideas and things. You know, you might be able to improve your systems, but by incorporating a new idea, but it also might break it, you mm-hmm. know, and everyone has to be on board and okay that if something doesn't work out or if somebody does something wrong, you're not going to get fired over it, right? Because mistakes happen like we are human, right? And there's a lot of... Uh, conversation that community as well around um they call it like human error no there's no such thing as human error there's systems errors or process errors right if a human shouldn't have made that mistake because there should have been processes in place to help that person not make that mistake right for the majority of the time so you know we're all sometimes when things break or things go wrong we always just look for someone to blame and I think in the in that kind of you know culture and in the tech side too, or any kind of industry, you want to be able to try to explore different ideas and ways of working. Like the number one, one of the number one questions, like top top three that I get when I'm teaching people to how to visualize their own notes, especially if they don't know how to draw, is what do I do when I make a mistake? Right. And I have to handhold people. It's like, oh, it's okay if you spell something wrong. It's okay if you drew something and it doesn't look like what you thought it would. It doesn't matter. Right. So, that this fear of even this drawing something not good or right or right, writing a word wrong or what have you. Like, before COVID, my work was 100% in person and I had to move everything online with COVID. Basically, had to restart my business from scratch. And I still do in-person stuff now. I'm getting back into it a little bit more. But usually when I have an opportunity to talk to a front of room and say, this is what I'm going to do today, I say, there's always one of you in every room who likes to correct someone's spelling, and now is your time to shine. <laughs> Come and let me know if I spelled something wrong. And that also, to me, is a signal that it's okay for me to make a mistake. I've already told everyone I'm probably going to make a mistake. <laughs> So I'm just living up to an expectation if I spell something wrong, I'm going to make that that person that loves correcting people's spelling an opportunity to to do that <laughs> during that day, right? So I think we just need to be in a place of, you know, stating that those things are just a normal way of working, a normal way of being like, we. There's, it's impossible to be perfect in every situation. And I agree, like, yeah, strive for excellence. Totally. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't have to come at the expense of not trying something new because you're staying comfortable. It's also a strategic way to start out with the Definitely part of the job. Oh, like, that's, like, that's a mistake. That's an issue. So, a nice way to yeah. kind of, uh, pull out the rumor to make things chiller. So definitely kudos to you for finding that little strategy thing. Um, but the other thing to touch upon, and I think that you mentioned earlier, but I think oftentimes, you know, when people try to be perfect, if people don't want to make mistakes, 
they might wait a really long time to be, and this goes into decision-making, might wait a really long time to be super, super sure. And I think that people, you know, this is going to be like a loose percentage in my head, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, but I think if people have like between 50 and 75%, like, you know, idea of something may be right, they should go for it because that may take them, yeah. likely take them a significant shorter amount of time to come to that decision or come to that action than to be a hundred percent certain and wait like four or five weeks, months, however long it is. So, and if yeah. I think that in short, I think that the way I would say it is like, be like relatively short and decisive and still not being right is better than being perfect and like undecisive, if that makes sense. Yeah, my sort of like philosophy in life is done is better than perfect. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? And I think you kind of have to embrace that in everything in your life because like when I was writing my book, I just had to flip and publish it already. Like I just had to put it out there and I'm like, I know it's not perfect. I know there's lots of things that I would change. And now that it's been out for a few months, I'm like, oh man, I should have put the beginner's gap in there. Darn, I didn't know this beginner's gap was a thing. This would have been like perfect in it oh, well, what are you going to do? Now I have an opportunity to talk about it like with you or, you know, maybe I'll write a blog post about it or something or I talk about it in my my sketchnoting community. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, like done is better than perfect. And also I run my business through a lens of experimentation. Like when I try something new, it's all an experiment. And it's not that the experiment failed. It just didn't work out the way I thought it was, like mm-hmm. would you have a hypothesis, like go back to, I'm not math and sciencey at all, but we're talking about it a lot, but go back to science and you got a hypothesis. And there's a reason why you have that hypothesis. You have an intuition about it. You had a little bit of data to back it up. Like you're, you're thinking this for a reason, just try it. And if it doesn't work out, it just means your hypothesis was a little off. It doesn't mean that if you failed or it failed, you know, like, and to me, whenever I try something new, in my life or business, it is a ladder or a stepping stone to something that does work or that will work. So mm-hmm. it's never like things never fail 100%, mm-hmm. right? Even if it fails 90%, 10% of that is something that you can, that you've learned that now you can put towards your next hypothesis, for example, or it turns into your new hypothesis. Yeah. Definitely. I think uh, one of the things you said, you talking about science and art conversation. Well, science is art and art is science in a weird way. So yes, exactly. Definitely feel free yeah. to mention that. And uh, <laughs> quick joke I wanted to make, you know, if you didn't include the beginner's gap of your initial book, you're like, you know, I can discuss it here and there. Could be another book that you write too. Uh, yeah, well, the book is called The Beginner's Guide to Sketchnoting, oh, and there's yeah. emphasis on the beginners because I wrote it with beginners in mind. So I'm bummed out that I don't like. I think I talk like I always. I think I talk about the beginner's gap, but not in the way that it was like uh, in the Find Your Creative Voice book. But yeah, no, okay. there, there's truth to it. For it can sure. be no pressure. I was just in my head <laughs> thinking out like it was called. You said the book was called The Beginner's Guide, right? Yeah. So then it could be like the beginner's guide version two of like there you go yeah return something like that no no that's just my my limited created juices come <laughs> yeah, really there's opportunity to talk about that stuff that you learned for sure yep and i'm sure sure it's a great book uh the other thing kind of more to your artsy stuff so you run the creative i'll call it a creative consulting firm or creative art consulting firm where kind of you bring illustrations or you bring well bring illustrations to life pun intended bring stories uh, stories yeah. and help clients tell or help clients show things through illustration in a visual yeah. way and something that much more resonates with kind of the viewers. 
So during your work, do you have any cool client stories that really resonate with you or that really stick out in your experience? Yeah, so I started, okay, so there's kind of two main worlds that I work in professionally. Like one is the conference world. So like imagine you're at a conference and there's like 10 speakers and over the course of the day, I'm illustrating the, the presentations. And at the end of the day, you got 10 graphics that represent the 10 presentations. So that's one world. But the other world I work in is the more of the facilitation side. So you're working with groups of people, the graphics you're creating are like a collective voice of the, from the people in the room, for example. So in situations like that, it can be unique and challenging because you never really know the culture that you're wa walking into because you're always a third party coming into something. And sometimes, you know, like obviously you're there for a reason. You're trying to achieve a goal. And if people aren't happy to be there, it's hard to achieve a goal. <laughs> So I think the situations that I that really resonate with me and stick with me are from those challenging facilitation type settings where I'm usually with a co-facilitator and there's me visualizing through the illustrations in real time. And there's definitely been situations where I've been in places where people were unhappy to be there and they you knew they were very unhappy to be there. So like one, one moment sticks out where there was a, it was a, I'm trying to not to totally say who the client is, but there's a group of guys and they were in the maintenance department and they have stuff to do. Like stuff is broken and they have to go fix it. But now they're in this day long meeting and they don't want to be there. Like I totally get it, <laughs> you know? And of course, a lot of meetings are a waste of time. So they're like, this is going to be a waste of time. And I went with my co-facilitator and we're like, okay, we got to win these guys over. We got to win these guys over. So they know that like, this is a safe place, like where their voice is contributing to what we're trying to do and accomplish. And it's really important that they're here. And I heard them kind of like joking about something at some point in the morning. And I drew a picture based on their little joke that they were doing. And then at the morning break, they all came up and they looked at, they pointed and laughed at the graphic and that was all it took to shift the energy from them feeling like this was a waste of time to like, oh, this isn't like a traditional meeting. Like this is something where I am feeling heard and valued in this space. And then another moment I had, we were doing some company culture dive in and trying to understand what is not working from a company culture perspective. And I had to go in, it was a plant and we had to go in like mul multiple times a day. Like, and I was there at like midnight working because of the shift work and stuff. And one time I was there and I think it was one of the late shifts. And I had this guy come up to me and he said, I've worked here for 40 years and no one has ever asked me my, my opinion. No one asked me if they cared, you know, and, or no, no one made me believe that what I had to say was valuable. And, you know, in those moments, you know, it's just such an honor to be there, to be, help them have a voice, especially when they don't normally have one or they feel like they haven't given the opportunity to have one. So, yeah, it's definitely in those moments of, you know, it's the difficult ones that are always the most memorable by trying to win people over making sure they feel valued, heard, and that what they have to say matters. 
right? And it matters so much that I'm drawing a picture about it on the wall, right? For it to be there for everybody to see. So it's definitely in those moments that are the most kind of memorable for me. It's awesome to hear. It's uh, good to hear that sometimes if people aren't as valued, you know, you're really able to take into account everyone's opinion and then, you know, not to get too cliche, but really unite an image or unite a theme through art. So I definitely think yeah. it's beautiful. You know, working with clients, you definitely have a lot of challenges that I'm sure you come up with and I'm sure art uh, is creative, but there's much, there's much more possibility for challenges because it's much more open-ended. So are there any common challenges that you've ended up facing with clients or that you still face today that you try to kind of navigate through? Um, definitely. I think, I think the biggest one for the first few years is just getting clients mm -hmm. <laughs> because of the nature of my business. It's so, it's such an experienced good that you really have to experience it to understand the value. And that can be one of the biggest barriers for people. And if they haven't seen it, if they haven't been in the room and felt those feelings of feeling heard or have seen a, a conference present, presentation, what have you, and now they have this image and they heard that information and they have that connection to it, it's a much difficult sell because there's an education element that goes before the sales element, right? Most people know they need, you know, a website designer or they need a a video editor or something like, I don't have this skill. I need someone who has this skill to do this thing, right? But the learning in those first few years of trying to articulate my value and why they should invest in this type of service, uh, had to, yeah, I had to work really hard on how do I communicate this. And every time I got a rejection, which I've got so many, <laughs> I had to get, I started reading like a lot of books on rejection because I was getting rejected so much. I had to look at those rejections and go, okay, maybe it's them and they just don't have the budget, but what, what did I do? Did, you know, not from a shaming perspective, but like a reflection, like, did I not explain the value enough? Did I, you know what I mean? Like what, what could I have said differently? I wonder. And sometimes I would ask like clients if they chose not to work with me, if they could give me a reason. And sometimes like most of the time it was money and most, and then the other half, they just don't respond, which is fair. But, you know, I had just sort of trying to not be, yeah, shameful for yourself, but try to be as reflective as possible of like the value piece trying to explain it, like the benefit that they're going to get from like an ROI and an investment perspective. Like it has to, at the end of the day, whatever you're selling, like a product or a service has to have some sort of value. And a lot of it has to have an ROI, like, or why would they hire you? Right. So I need to, yeah, I need to be able to say like, okay, well, if you hire me to do this thing and people feel valued and heard, you'll retain your, your employees. Like that is a huge ROI because now they don't have to go and try to find new employees, which can cost way more than what it is going to cost to bring me in, for example, right? So being able to articulate those things and and try to solve that problem for them and be able to explain it in a way. And I want to work with people that are like pretty easygoing. Like I'm not a very serious person. Like I want to have a good time. <laughs> That's really important to me. So I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, sales calls these days, I, I kind of just tell them I only work with fun people and then you see their wheels turn. They're like, 
we're fun, we're fun, I think we're fun. And then they're almost like selling, trying to convince me to work with them because try to convince me that they're fun enough, <laughs> which is just so funny to me. But, you know, I feel like the tables have turned after doing this for so long because I can, I've got enough confidence and enough experience under me that I, I know what I'm doing. And yeah, but that only comes with, with time and experience for sure. But those first few years were pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. You sound like a, an art selling class that we said, you know, you're trying to pitch to clients why kind of they should hire you. And then you're like, well, I only work with these kind of people. And then they're like, yeah, we're those kind of people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. I, I actually like like sales calls now. Like I don't even see them as sales calls. I'm just like, I'm just gonna talk to this person and see if they're fun. And if they're not fun, even if they have the money, I don't want to work with them. You know, like I'm busy enough, you know, that if you're a good time and we can have fun together and get all this awesome benefit from it, like let's do it. But you know, it's I definitely is a I do believe in energy work and universal stuff. So and it's an energy thing, right? If if they you know, if we have, if we vibe well, then like, let's do it. But if I have any inclination that they're going to be kind of hard to deal with, then I just say, oh, this isn't the right fit for me right now. Right. You know, you just have to believe that there's just another client around the corner, you know, and saying no to, yeah, I think most of us have to learn that tough lesson of saying yes to something we should have said no to. And then you're like, oh, this is why I should have said no. So the next time, you're like, okay, I'm going to say no to this project that I should have said no to the last one, right? I mean, but that's life. That's just learning. And I yeah, think, exactly. I think maybe that's the difference between kind of an experienced salesperson, a beginner, and the beginner. They're like, no, you have to do this, you have to do that. Well, as opposed to an experienced person is, you know, has gone through, I'm sure the beginner gap, pun intended to our conversation earlier. Yeah. But you know, knows the value that they have to add, knows what they're good at, you know, is happy to talk to the client, but isn't really trying to oversell what they're doing and just kind of feels it out. So I'm happy that yeah. you've been able to, to overcome that gap and you know, hopefully, hopefully you have uh, many more fun clients in the future. I mean, if oh, only fun client, only fun people, man, only the fun people get to work with me. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So that's the, that's the checklist to, to work with Ashton. If anyone's exactly. Up. If you're fun, let's do this. But if you're serious and not fun, no, no, thank you. <laughs> No, but that's really awesome. Kind of, uh, the other thing, like working with a lot of art, you know, I'm sure there's probably artists that you've drawn inspiration from or kind of that you look up to. Kind of, is there anyone that you really think of or any big like artists in the past that have been an inspiration to you or that you look up to? Yeah, so I, I really, like I said in the beginning, I struggled with this idea of it wasn't even in my wheelhouse or thought process to be an artist. And I think I kind of wanted to be one, but I never really could do it because I thought all the things that people think when it comes to art, like starving mm-hmm. artists and all that good stuff. So, and because I wasn't professionally trained and I didn't go to art school, I honestly leaned on and got inspiration from a lot of non traditional art artists mm-hmm. so around here anyways there's a whole folk art community and folk art is a folk artist is someone who doesn't have any training and that uses found materials mm-hmm. 
right? So it's like, it's real bare bones, right? And there, yeah, there's a famous folk artist that lives here. They actually made a movie about her a few years ago. Ethan Hawke is in it uh, called Ma, the movie is called Maudie, M-A-U-D-I-E. And her name is Maud Lewis. And I had to do a project on her when I was in college for early childhood. And I really fell in love with her a lot. And she had a lot of barriers. She had juvenile arthritis. She was very small and like couldn't hold a paintbrush very well because of her, her, her illness. And her, she's very poor. And her husband was a boat builder and he would bring home slabs of wood that he found around the boat yard and bring home like boat paint. And she would just draw these like very like whimsical cats and like horses and oxen and, you know, sleigh people and sleigh like, you know, mountain, not mountainous scenes, but, you know, winter scenes and things like that. And I think she, once I sort of learned a lot about her, I, it really kind of gave me that push to believe that I could be an artist, even though I am not trained or taught uh, or I'm just self-taught and all that stuff. So I would say she's been sort of my biggest source of inspiration about the folk art community in general and folk art as an, as a thing. Um, I think I've really leaned in on, I think maybe to make myself feel better, <laughs> the fact that I'm not professionally trained or I have never taken an art class. I'm like, I can be an artist because even though I've never taken an art class in my life. So, and I just sort of lean on that now. And I was really worried to tell people that in the beginning, but now I lean on it because since I'm teaching people how to draw their own notes, I can say to them, I don't have an art background. I've never taken an art class and I've gotten to this point. So now I lean on it as a strength um, where I was worried years ago of sharing it as I was, thought it would be seen as unprofessional or as a weakness. But now I just embrace it because I want people to experience the benefit of drawing their own ideas or their things that they're listening to but you don't actually know, have to know how to draw. Like I can teach you the drawing skills in 15 minutes, like the basic stuff that that's, if that's all you did, you'd still draw probably pretty awesome notes. You know, it's not rocket science at all. And I want people to know that that's my background so that it makes it hopefully a little bit more accessible from, hey, maybe, well, she didn't know how to draw and she does this and look at her now and maybe, I don't know how to draw, maybe I can do it, you know. Well, I don't think I would call myself an experienced podcaster at this point, but I think this is episode number 16, but in the beginning, not to get into the whole tangent that was my tumultuous career, which I'm sure I probably mentioned on, on some of my other shows, but I really took a little while to think about, you know, the kind of work I wanted to do and what I wanted to pursue and after doing some self-reflection, I really thought, you know, I always, I love learning about business still. I love talking to people, but the corporate setting isn't really for me. So is there something I can do to kind of pursue that? Right. Um, and then I was like, oh, you know, and maybe what if I, I always love listening to stories, listening to like inspirational stories, especially how people were able to go from crazy situations to kind of, you know, going to this high level in business or really successful careers. 
So I was like, oh, what if I could, you know, make a living or make a career out of doing that kind of thing? And then that's ultimately how I, uh, how I started this. And in the beginning, I totally kind of had no idea what I was up to. It was also really technically, I'll just say technically unskilled. I have, I have a good friend who's really good with all that technical stuff. Um, so, you know, he has that background. But me personally, in the beginning, I had to figure out, you know, what kind of software I'm going to use to record, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to build a website. At some point, I just kind of told myself, okay, I'm just going to like figure this out, and, you know, uh, whatever, whatever happens, happens. So, um, you know, thankful, still a lot of things I have to learn, but uh, to kind of resonate with that point, not to take away from the theme, uh, but essentially, I think a lot of times people are scared to kind of dip their toe in or they, they might come up with an excuse like I need formal education when in reality, you know, you just kind of have to, you know, get your feet wet, fail fast and, uh, and pivot. So. Uh, to kind of relate it back to your point, I think it's awesome that you were able to draw inspiration from someone that also didn't have kind of necessary art background. You're like, you know, that person didn't have formal training. While formal training is great and all, it's not something that's a necessity. It's something that you were able to kind of go into and, and do for yourself when you really wanted to. And you didn't wait. You didn't wait for it to happen. You took the opportunity. Yeah. I, I don't know if this relates to anything, but when no. you're talking in, in your experience, like you're on number 16. And I think about Lewis House, mm -hmm. right? The School of Greatness. Like I was just trying to look up how many episodes he has while you were talking, and I can't find it quickly. But it's a lot. It's a lot of flipping episodes. But he wasn't—I don't want to say he was a nobody, but he was kind of a nobody. Like it's not like yeah, I think he played football or something, but he never really made it big or anything. Really, am I saying this right? Do you know mm -hmm. about it? Yeah, but like you know, he. I think I look at him sometimes and I think he's a really good example of just showing up consistently, you know, like Daniel's podcast years from now, if you just keep going, like it, it just gets better and better over time. And you just like attract different uh, guests and like, who knows, maybe you'll like Seth Godin and all that stuff. Like, who knows? Like you have like all these like awesome people that, that Lewis um, has attracted on his just by like showing up and, and doing it. But I think people, because of the, I'm, just, I'm going full circle again, because of that beginner's gap, like it's just so easy to on your way to where you want to be to give up at any point in that journey until you get to where that you want to be. And, and I think we have, there's also, I'm just throwing, I'm throwing all these books out here. There's a really good book that I'm almost done called 4,000 Weeks uh, by mm -hmm. Oliver Somebody. Sorry, Oliver. Oliver Somebody. Oh. It's got like a million reviews on Amazon. I didn't even know that when it was recommended to me. And it's, you know, if you live to your 80, you live 4,000 weeks. So basically like, but it's, it's wow. not a time management book in terms of what to do and how to like manipulate your time to try to get more stuff done. It's, it's more like high level, like philosophy on like time and what is time and how do we, how do we see how we use our time, you know, but at the end of the day, like you only have a finite amount of time to do something. So what are you going to focus it on to get to where it is that you want to be, you know? Yep, definitely. I think uh, it's a really good book and definitely uh, maybe something to add to the list by, uh, by Oliver or I'll find out what his last name is, but it's more important yeah. to have the title. But no, overall, really, really appreciate that. I think you've had a really cool story and still an ongoing story, only with fun clients. Gotta add that in there. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> You weren't as experienced, but just by chance, it was something you got into and then something you ended up 
running with. But even in the beginning, you were kind of at the beginning of that gap. Hopefully, you're past the beginner's gap now. But I think it's a it's a really great story and awesome inspiration for people out there. Not only kind of initial artists, but also folks who are looking to kind of do something and they might be worried about outside opinions or worried about failing. So, you mm-hmm. know, you're I'm sure we'll, we'll have a lot of other examples on the show in the future, but you're a great example of kind of just putting your mind to it and failing fast. So really appreciate that. Just, uh, yeah, just want to ask you right now based in, in Canada, right? Yeah. How's it, how's it like living in Canada and uh, like the Nova Scotia area, right? Yeah. Mistaken. So I'm on, I'm on the East coast. So people in the U S usually I tell them go to Maine and keep going. There's more up there. <laughs> and that's where I am. It's pretty nice. It was raining and now the sun is shining. This, that's Nova Scotia weather for you. Like the people just say blink and the weather will change. So mm-hmm. we just had a hurricane on the weekend. I'm glad I have power. I was a little worried. Mm-hmm. If I, I got it back Sunday night. I was thinking about this interview and thinking I might have to reschedule it again. But it's, um, yeah, it, the weather here has been, been pretty wild, but it's, it's, fall is the best season. We have uh, apple orchard is my favorite place to visit in the whole world. So I mm-hmm. cannot wait to go to the apple orchard and hopefully the hurricane didn't ruin all the trees, but I'm I'm excited to go to the apple orchard in a few weeks and pick some apples and it's going to be a good time. Got it. Hoping that you're able to enjoy yourself at the orchard and that weather pending, uh, that'll be a fun trip. But awesome to hear about that. Just a few of the last things I always like to get into and I always end each show with kind of these two things, but you know, you've mentioned how you're able to kind of overcome a lot of challenges and kind of uh, excel in your fun art career, for the, the third fun, pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. But in your life, in your personal life, what would you say brings you the most happiness? Oh, I really love my kids. They're pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome little human beings, man. I, yeah, they're, they're my everything. I do love them to, to bits. Um, I love being a mom. I love just like, I feel a bit, different like I'm just different I guess in everything in my life but I think I parent differently than maybe most people I'm pretty real and honest with them um we're starting a family business so like my seven-year-old is very entrepreneurial and like we're gonna do it we're gonna start a family like a business just for the family and you know I think that's pretty unconventional for most people and yeah, they they bring me me tons of joy. And if my husband wasn't such an introvert, he'd be a comedian, that's for sure. So we just laugh all day long. We're just uh, having a good time over here. So I guess the fun part of me wanting to work with fun people is in my life too. I just want to have a good time. But yeah, that brings me, um, yeah, my family and my kiddos bring me a lot of joy for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, wishing you the best of luck with that business and uh, many more lives. I think a lot of introverts are low-key comedians, but that's just yeah. <laughs> um, but awesome, great to hear that. And you know, just the last thing I wanted to ask: you mentioned a lot of really cool stories, how you've been able to advance your art career, and kind of on the end there, what brings you happiness. Is there anything else that you want to share with kind of the audience, whether it's business advice, life advice, relationship advice? Uh, Ashton, final word is yours. Final word. Wow. Yeah, I guess. You know, don't compare your your first year to someone's tenure. I, mm-hmm. I think that's so like when you feel intimidated by something, try to channel that into inspiration instead. So like, oh look where they're they've gone. Oh, they're doing it. And then like, yeah, it doesn't have to, you know, take those like little like inklings of jealousy and reflect on them. 
Mm-hmm. Be like, why am I feeling jealous? Is it because I want what they have? Like maybe I do. And if I do, what can I actually do to get that thing, right? Or be where they are. I think it, you know, sometimes in these types of conversations, like I'm I've just come so far and it almost makes me like step back and reflect. Because the Ashton answering these questions 10 years in is a completely different Ashton, even from like three years ago, you know, and we all are growing at our own pace and developing and growing our thing and doing our thing at our own pace. And, you know, yeah, I guess just to reiterate, just try not to be too intimidated. Like, I don't want to say I'm not special, but like, I'm not really like, like I didn't go to business school either. Like, I don't know what I'm doing and I figured it out. And, you know, you don't have to be intimidated by where I am 10 years in, you know, like go back to your favorite podcasters or people and like what their first episode was. And it was probably awful. (laughs) Just like my first drawing was awful. Right. I guess maybe I'm just reiterating what you talked about. Um, what you mentioned earlier of, uh, the beginner, something about the beginner. Yeah, uh, it's like I'm, I'm just starting out. But even though I'm never yeah. as a host, I've been patient enough to ask people guests. I, I still have a lot to learn. Is what I was yeah, thinking. exactly. And you just have to view everything as a learning experience. And a, like you will never truly fail at anything if it's just an experiment, right? So I'm just radiating everything I already said. I'm just summarizing for everybody, basically. But you know, I think I just keep those things in mind when you're getting frustrated and have a little like notebook of the accolades that you've gotten over time. Because sometimes when you're having a bad day, it's really hard to remember and and pick yourself up sometimes. Or if you've got a mean client or, or someone doesn't want to pay you or what have you, you know, it can it can get really frustrating. But you're on this mission for a reason, right? Try to focus on the positives and not get too emotional about all the things that don't tend to work out because like you're a different breed if you're doing this and try to find people who who you can have these types of conversations with Mm -hmm. right reach out to daniel and maybe you can be on his podcast and then like you could be interviewed a year later by daniel and see how far you come you never know right i mean honestly that's kind of it's good that you mentioned that i actually my goal is to i don't just want to have someone on once if you know i'll have I've said this to a few people. I don't know why 100 is like the number that sticks in my head, but if this is episode 116, I'm fortunate enough, I'm sorry, if this is episode 16, sorry about yeah. that. I'm fortunate enough to get to episode 116. You know, I'd love to have you back on it. I'm sure we could, we could talk about the, the gap. Yeah, and I'll listen to it and be like, oh, why did you say all those things, Ashton? You've learned so much since then. Yeah. It's all good. I mean, yeah. hey, that's life. But Ashton, overall, look, you're, you're an awesome guest for inspiration. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Ashton Rodenizer. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to rate the show on Spotify, drop a comment on YouTube, and subscribe.